what's happening, Charlotte? Let me ask you a question to kick off. How would you summarize our generation in just one word? Because in the book of Acts, what's just happened in chapter 2 is that Peter was stood in Jerusalem preaching about Jesus to his fellow Jews. But as he preached Jesus, he was prosecuting them. He pins them. God proved who Jesus was through the miracles that gave people life. But you murdered him. God proved who Jesus was through the scriptures that promised his life. You crucified him. And so Peter preaches, he prosecutes, but then he promises. He promises that there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. And by the end of Acts chapter 2 and Peter's sermon in Jerusalem, he's literally collapsing. Having preached his heart out, preached himself empty, he collapses into pleading with them. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. There's the word he chooses. One word to sum up their community, their nation, their generation, corrupt. You kind of go, sheesh, Peter. That's not going to gain you many friends in Jerusalem. It's not going to get you much acceptance from the crowd. But he ain't after acceptance from this generation. He's after their salvation from it. And Peter used his language because he'd heard Jesus use it. In Luke's gospel, Jesus called the same generation both perverse in Luke 7 and wicked in Luke 11. Now, neither Jesus or Peter are saying that there was never anything good that came from them, but that there was something fundamentally crooked in them. And it's in us. Not just our culture, us. And for us, finding corruption in others is like finding an elephant in a haystack. It's proper easy, isn't it? It's easy to say politicians are corrupt, or the police are corrupt, or big tech is corrupt, or men are corrupt. But we like to think that finding corruption in ourselves is more like trying to find Wally in one of his little books. We're generally good... And there might be the odd occasion that you might just find here and there where we've made mistakes. But with Jesus and Peter, the Bible's diagnosis of our generation, of any generation, is that there is a central core corruption that's in us because of our unbelief in God and our rebellion from him. We've seen evidence of God in creation, but we deny him as our creator. We feel conviction in our conscience but we deny accountability to him as our judge. We hear of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, but we deny our need of him as our saviour or his right over us as his Lord. Corrupt. Which is why the message that Peter spoke to Jerusalem is the same one that our generation needs to hear today. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. If you're not a Christian... Some of us have lived so long in this corruption that we can't imagine anything different or anything better. So please hear this. There is something better, something purer, something healthier, something safer, something happier than the addiction, the abuse, the idleness, the boredom, the fear, the anxiety, the emptiness that has been handed down to us over generations. And as you hear Peter preach Jesus, prosecute us but then promise forgiveness and plead with us 
He's shown you how Jesus not only saves us from our corrupt generation, but he saves us for or he saves us into a new community. And that's what we're going to see today in the last bit of Acts chapter 2. A change has happened. I was corrupt. I was part of a corrupt generation. But Jesus' salvation both cleanses my inner corruption and then places me in a new community. I've been plucked out of one and placed safe in another. Now this community in Acts chapter 1 had been small, probably only about 120 folk. But by this point in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people have just been baptised and added to their number. Now in one sense, 3,000 small. It was only about 1.5% of the Jerusalem population. It was a city of almost 200,000. So in some ways it's quite small, but the leap from 120 to 3,000 is an increase of 2,500%. That would mean that each of the initial 120 members of that church would have had 25 new Christians each to care for. So here's the real challenge. How do the 120 model to the 3,000 what it means to be a member of this new community? How do these 3,000 brand new Christians learn the deep differences between the corruption they've been plucked from and the church they've been placed in? That's why I think Acts 2, the end of Acts 2 is going to be good for us this morning. If you're a Christian desperate to see folk in your community saved, this is a great text to equip you to know how to disciple people when they join a church. If you're a new Christian or a young Christian, this is a great snapshot for you to see what it means to be part of this new community of Jesus' church. What does a community filled with the Holy Spirit look like? And if you're not a Christian, it may show you that what you think church is, isn't actually what church is. This isn't an old building full of old people. This is a living community for you to be part of. Now, let me give you the headline in four words, and then we'll dive a little deeper. In four words, this is what church is. Devoted together every day. Look at verses 42 to 43 of Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at all the signs, wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And notice that word, devoted. I don't know what the first thing that comes into your head when you hear the word devoted is, or who the first person is that comes to mind. It's maybe images of care home workers who at the start of coronavirus were camping out in tents to provide care for their patients. Maybe it's the community groups that have given themselves to care for the most vulnerable in the crisis. Maybe it's just the mum who every single day has been doing homeschooling, entertaining and feeding the kids. But when you hear the word devoted, it's words like dedicated, committed, dogged. It's energy and it's everything. It's passion and it's persistence. It's loyalty and it's love. Or maybe it's actually more helpful to think of the opposites. What is the opposite of devotion? It's indifference, apathy, disinterest, laziness. Now those last words don't suit a Christian. Because Christianity is about devotion. It's not a part of you thing. It's a whole of you thing. It's with all of your heart and all of your soul and all your strength and all of your mind. Christianity's devotion. 
devoted to Jesus, a saviour who gave his everything for you, so you give your everything to him. He died for me, so I live for him. Now, it is possible to be living a Christian kind of life, but not actually be devoted to Jesus. Think of it this way. You can have three people who are sat next to each other in an office. Well, not just now, but once we're out of this thing. And they all look like they're devoted to the same job, but actually they're devoted to different things. One is devoted to money. And so the job's just a means to that end. One's devoted to their kids, and the job's just a means of putting food on the table. The other's devoted to smoking weed, and the job's just a means of feeding that habit. Looks like they're doing the same job, but the devotion behind it is very different. We need to ask the question, what is our Christianity devoted to? Because Judas followed Jesus around for three years, but wasn't actually devoted to Jesus. He was devoted to money. So you could have three people sat in Charlotte Chapel, not at the moment, but once we're out of this thing. And they can look like they're doing the same thing. But one's devoted to comfort and ease, and they're just there to pacify their wife. One's devoted to self-righteousness and they're just there to make themselves feel like they're better than other people. But there are some who are actually devoted to Jesus and are there simply for him. And we need to ask ourselves, what is my Christianity devoted to? Maybe we need to pray. Lord, make me as devoted to my Saviour as my Saviour has been to me. But as we dig into Acts 2, when you ask the question, what does that devotion look like? How is that devotion expressed? How do you channel devotion to Jesus? Well, this is what it's going to look like. So we've got four big words, devoted to Jesus every day. And then there's four things that devotion looks like. Here's the first one. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. Um, mind in Acts, right, the apostles were the lads who were with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry... And they were witnesses of everything up to his rising and ascending at the end of his ministry. So they were witnesses of Jesus to be preachers of Jesus. And that's probably why we're told in verse 43 that they were doing all these signs and wonders. In that special role as apostles, they were specially marked out by supernatural stuff. And in the Bible, heavy doses of supernatural signs are usually to point out God's authoritative, legit spokesman. And so the Christians, seeing that, devote themselves to the apostles' teaching because they are the witnesses of Jesus who teach them about Jesus. Now, if you look back to the end of the first episode of Luke's book, so Luke's gospel is the first one, Acts is a sequel. At the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, verses 45 to 49, Jesus says that the apostles will preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all nations. Now that's the apostles' teaching that Christians are devoted to. Devoted to rejoicing more and more and more in the forgiveness of their sins by Jesus. And then day after day, knowing how Jesus teaches me to repent of my sins out of corruption and into new life. A devotion to the teaching of Jesus. Which means we cannot claim to be devoted to Jesus and our dusty Bibles. If the mark of our generation is a devotion to their phones then the distinctive mark of a Christian in this generation will be a devotion to our Bibles. So today, devotion to Jesus will be expressed by doing this kind of thing every day. I eat every day because I'm devoted to staying alive. 
and I read the Bible every day because I'm devoted to staying spiritually alive. Devoted, we are devoted to the apostles' teaching because we're devoted to Jesus, the one who sent the apostles for us. Alright, so first thing, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Second thing, devoted to the fellowship. Now the word the is important, it's not actually in the NIV. It misses it out, but it's in there. It's not just devotion to fellowship, but devotion to the fellowship. What's that saying? Saying us that Christianity is community. And devotion to Jesus will be displayed in devotion to Jesus' church. Right? Jesus doesn't save you by placing you in a kind of a wee rubber dinghy thingy fit for one. Now, Jesus saves you and he places you on a rescue ship full of other fellows. It's a fellowship. We're in this together. Now, you're going to see if you read the book of Acts, some of the challenges that that brings. How do a group of people from different ethnic groups who have been separate for generations sit side by side in the church? Or how will the friends of a murder victim... And the now Christian murderer sits side by side in church. Or how will a successful businesswoman, a former demon possessed slave and a prison officer get on sitting in a church together? That's going to be hard. But Jesus creates a community where there's a deep connection to and between and for one another. Like parts of a body. Like members in a family. Like bricks in a wall. And Jesus creates, creates a community where people don't just bear with one another, but are devoted to one another. Here's what the church is, right? It's not just a group of people who see each other for an hour on a Sunday, but a group of people who have looked one another in the eye and said, I am devoted to you. Our devotion to Jesus creates this devotion to Jesus' church. And that's not just an empty, oh, I love you guys. It's a practical, costly I'm devoted to you guys. Look at verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give who anyone who had need. Now notice the word there, together. Devoted together every day. And notice the word all, everything, anyone. The all-togetherness brought a commonness that covered neediness. Now where does that flow from? Jesus again, right? Jesus' devotion covers our greatest need. So our devotion to one another will do the same. That's the fellowship. On this ship of fellows, if somebody's seat spouts a leak, the others don't go, ah, hey, you're going to get wet and we're going to be fine. Nah. If a leak's on a ship, it's everybody's problem. If it sinks, everybody sinks. If one person's got need, everyone gives to the need. Devoted together every day. That's what church is. We do a recovery meeting on a Friday night uh, at Grace Mount. And two weeks ago, two lassies who have been Christ just become Christians in the last two months shared at that meeting. And they both shared how thankful they were for Grace Mount Community Church. Now, an outsider listening to that meeting could have said, what church? Church hasn't met for a year. You two lassies have never been to the church. And it would be true. The women have never seen Sunday church. 
and yet they've still experienced something of the everyday church that we're called to be. Devoted together every day. So devoted to the fellowship. Third thing though. So devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and then to sorry, the breaking of bread. Now here's one of the ways we do the fellowship thing together. We eat together. If you look at Jesus in Luke's gospel, he is constantly eating. Right, following Jesus wasn't necessarily good for your waistline. In Luke 5, he eats at a banquet with tax collectors and sinners. In Luke 7, he sits down at Simon's house with Pharisees and a sinful woman to eat. In Luke 9, he's miraculously feeding 5,000 folk. In Luke 10, he's enjoying hospitality at Mary and Martha's. In Luke 11, he's dining with Pharisees again. In Luke 14, he's having a meal on the Sabbath with more Pharisees. In Luke 19, he's enjoying scram with a wee dude called Zacchaeus. In Luke 22, he's turning the Passover into the Last Supper with his 12 disciples. In Luke 24, the risen Jesus is breaking bread with two disciples after walk in the Emmaus road and in Luke 24 he eats fish with his disciples he dines with those who will put him to death the Pharisees and he dines with those that he'll die for the tax collectors and sinners see who Jesus ate with revealed a lot about him not least when he took bread and he said this is my body given for you and he took wine and he said, this is a cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. As Christians, we eat the Lord's Supper together to express what unites us together. Jesus gave his body for me. Jesus gave his body for you. Jesus poured out his blood for me, but Jesus poured out his blood for you. We're devoted to eating together because when Jesus died, he did it to unite us together. One body, one cup. So I think that's part of what Acts 2 is talking about. But I don't think Acts 2 lets us leave it there. Because a square of bread and a short of juice once a month barely scratches the surface of that word devoted. It's more than that. When you become a Christian, your kitchen table becomes the church's kitchen table. And I don't mean that somebody would have had all 3,120 folk for dinner in Jerusalem. But... Devotion to one another will involve eating with one another. And I don't just mean an open door and decent scran. I mean meals where Jesus is talked about. The Bible's read. Testimonies are shared. Songs are sung. Prayers are prayed. It's part of our devotion. So why not make it your ambition that when this lockdown's over, maybe once a week, make your home, your flat, wherever, a place where people can come, enjoy a meal, read the Bible and enjoy Jesus. It doesn't need to be a three course meal and a sermon. It could be a pot noodle and one verse. But just make it particularly a place where you invite those who are least like you and most different from you. Have those who can't have you back. Because look at verse 46 in Acts chapter 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. And notice these two words. With glad and sincere hearts. So there was these large scale meetings in the temple, but then there was this small scale eating together and notice how they do it. Gladness, sincerity, always glad, why? Because for a Christian, no matter the circumstances around them or the scran on the table in front of them, they still had Jesus so they had reason for joy. And sincere, why? 
because they didn't have to wear a mask pretending to be something that they weren't because God has saved them just as they were. No gloom but gladness, no hypocrisy but sincerity. And so here's the challenge, that whenever you sit down for a meal with other people, pointing to the joy you have in Jesus, gladness, and be honest about how you're actually doing, sincerity. Because that is tasty community. I'll have some of that. So devoted to the breaking of bread. Fourth thing, last thing. Devoted to the prayers. Now again, like the previous three, the word the is in there. It's to the prayers and not just to prayer. That tells you something about this group. At this point, as it's growing in Jerusalem, mostly the group's still Jewish. So there would have been set prayers that would have been said at various times each day. And so this group of 3,000, having outgrown the 120's original upper room, now met together, verse 46, in the temple courtyard. And whenever they met, they prayed. Because they have a fellowship together, but then a fellowship with the Father. This is not just an earthly thing, the church. Jesus is now in heaven. He sat at the, at the right hand of God the Father, enthroned next to him. And the Father was so devoted to our salvation that he gave his one and only Son for us. The Son was so devoted to our salvation that he obeyed willingly his Father to give his life for us. And the Father and the Son's devotion to you sent the Spirit so that you can enjoy life knowing them. And so prayer is another gift of the gospel. It's not you must pray. It's you can pray. Why wouldn't you pray? So your devotion to prayer will be directly linked to how much you appreciate God's devotion to you. Some of us listening might long for an earthly dad who would invest time just listening to us. But we have that in heaven. Some of us know the agony of a child who's cut off all communication with us. And yet we can be like that with our heavenly father when we don't pray. A friendship won't survive if one person never replies to text. A marriage won't thrive on pure communication and your Christian life will only ever be as hot as your prayer life. That's why a Christian is someone who's devoted to the apostles' teaching because that's how Jesus speaks to us and then they're devoted to prayer because that's how we speak back. Christianity is not about meetings. It's not about rituals. It's about a person. We're devoted to prayer because we're devoted to Jesus. And so look at 46 and 47 again, verses 46 and 47. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together in glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. Prayer is praise. It's not just a list of wants and needs. It's an outburst of thanks and worship. Remember at the start of lockdown when we all did that thing and we stood outside our doors and we clapped the NHS? Remember that? Imagine you're someone who works in the NHS and you're normally just used to people going, I'm sick, or I'm happy about this, or I have to wait how long for this, or please fix this, or wipe this, or disinfect this, or what's this? What difference in that moment when all of a sudden, on Thursday nights, they didn't just hear, I'm angry, or I'm sick, but they simply heard... Now, prayer can be complaints and it can be needs, but prayer at its most basic is a clap, it's applause, 
It's thanking God for being there. It's thanking him for who he is and thanking him for doing what he has done. Prayer is praise. That's what we're to be devoted to. So if you've never done this before, try it today. Don't think about tomorrow yet, right? Because tomorrow might never come. Don't dream about devotion. Just do devotion. So today, devote yourself to prayer. If you've never prayed before, find a quiet place, which might just mean turning your phone off. And for the time being, forget about time. Maybe get down on your knees to physically show that you're in awe that you can call the God of the universe Father and to show that you're humbly devoting yourself to him. You're all in. And then maybe just pray through these four things we've seen. Father, you know me better than I know myself. But I'm going to lay myself bare here. I'm sorry that I've been devoted only to myself. I thank you that Jesus devoted his everything to me by dying to forgive me and that he's filled me with his spirit. Make me as devoted to him as he has been to me. And so I ask, Heavenly Father, you would make me, help me, help us as a church be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of this church, to sharing joy with them in my home and to speaking to you constantly. And then you could pray that for some of your family, pray for some of your friends, pray for some people in your church. And then make yourself go, and I'm going to be devoted to make a priority to be at the prayer meetings that Charlotte Chapel has. So that we're not just devoted to prayer as individuals, but we're devoted together every day. Because it's not just a you thing. It's a together thing. I need to shut up, my time's gone. We started off with one word to describe a generation. Peter went for crooked. And then we've seen four words to describe a church. Devoted together every day. But if we come to you personally, uh, whenever I'm asked to do a funeral, I always ask the family, describe the person you love, describe the person who's passed away in three words. Now that's a stark moment right there. Because that's what we'll be boiled down to. That's what our life will be summarised as. How will our family and friends answer the questions? What were they devoted to? What did you see them do every single day? What did you witness them spend their lives on? What was the heartbeat of their home? What was the driving force behind their decisions? Here's the answer from the members of the church in Acts 2. They were devoted to Jesus. And so they were devoted to his church. And I think if that's true for us collectively in Gracemount, if it's true for you guys at Charlotte Baptist Chapel, I think that like verse 47 will grow. I think people will be added to our number. I think it will be an attractive advert for those still living in the corruption that Peter described to come into this new living thing called the church. But it's going to take devotion. So we pray, Lord God, make us as devoted to our Saviour as our Saviour was to us.